Hey, good morning, church. Shift gears now. Uh, as uh, we, we plan way far ahead, you're so smart. We, we won't start the Christmas series until it's cold outside. So, yeah, yeah sorry. Just kidding. We did. We have nothing to do with the weather. Uh, we didn't. We didn't plan it or anything like that. But it is convenient. And so we are talking about Christmas. Um, it seems like everybody else is talking about Christmas too. And as as we begin this conversation, which is going to be fun to have because I've got lots of props. I can sit and we can sit together. It's going to be weird, but we'll make it work. My confession is this: I don't like musicals. Yeah, I got, I got an amen back there. One of those amens, you know those? They rattle real good. I don't like musicals, and I never have. And uh, actually, it's funny that I have had, I'm making this confession now because I was speaking with my wife yesterday, and uh, I am now committed to watching a musical based on a conversation yesterday. So I'm excited about that, honey. <clears throat> but I don't like musicals because they just don't feel real to me. I can see it working in a cartoon where, like, the cartoon characters are doing stuff and then all of a sudden they break in song. But that doesn't happen in real life. I can see, all right, Robbie, I'll pick on you. I can see Robbie, you know, he's in the mechanic shop. He's, you know, working with tools and his boss comes over and says, what are you doing? And, and we have this whole long backstory about all the things that are going on in Robbie's life. And so this, this moment, Robbie turns around and says, what does it look like I'm doing? And the whole mechanics room, what does it look like he's doing? How often does that happen? No. <laughs> the guys in your, in your thing can't sing. So it, it, it doesn't feel real to me, right? And, and, and I'm talking about that. I'm bringing that up because... Christmas sometimes, the whole Christmas season and everything that surrounds it, sometimes feels like a musical to me. There are people who are not happy any of the 11 months of the year that all of a sudden, like, Merry Christmas to you! You know? And people, it doesn't feel real. The movies don't feel real. And Christmas musicals, and I'm not going I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for that. But here's, the, here's, here's something that I find really, really interesting, as we turn our attention to the Christmas story, how God chose to communicate Jesus coming to earth, it actually sounds a lot like a musical, which is frustrating for me, because I've already said I don't like musicals very much. But you, we, I, you, we can't get away from it. Those first two chapters of Luke are the only chapters in the whole New Testament where something happens and multiple people burst out into verse. It doesn't happen in the rest of the New Testament until we get to Revelation, and then there's like some weird stuff going on. There's some voices that I don't know how they're going to sound when we get there. But all of that to say, it's funny to me. So would you open, with your, uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? I had a stack here, and they've disappeared. There you go, buddy. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. We're going to hit the first 25 verses this morning. It's on page 709, if you're using, um, if you're using one of these story Bibles like I have here. 709, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 1 reads this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world have, word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I'd like to stop there. This is, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a weird place to start. But I want to introduce this letter to you because I find this letter fascinating, particularly with the connection to the Christmas musical that we're getting ready to get into. This letter is written by a guy named Luke. And Luke was a doctor. Smart guy. And you can tell by the way he opens up the letter. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning where I went. Like, it sounds like a doctor, doesn't it? Is a smart guy. And what is he saying? He's saying, hey, look, there's a lot of people that have tried to write this stuff down, and I'm going to give it my shot too because I want to write something. How does he describe it? Orderly. <laughs> I want this to be in the right order. And so he's starting to write down, this doctor guy, an orderly account of everything that's happened. He's talked to eyewitnesses, people who were there. He's talked to... Um, ministers of the word, like the apostles, the people that this happened to, he's talked to them. He's sat down with them. He's making notes. And now he's taking his big collection of notes together, and he's going to write an orderly account. I followed all things closely from the beginning. This is something I am interested in. I don't have an engineer's brain. I don't have a doctor's brain. I'm not meticulous. But I imagine when meticulous people get interested in something, there's going to be a lot of detail to what they do. Is that... Fair to say? So this is a meticulous account of everything that happened. And he's, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. We don't know who that guy is. We know he's Greek by his name. But as you go through this book, the book of Luke, and, and the second part of the book, which we call Acts now, we get the indication that he might even be writing this as a legal brief. So to be presented in a court of law, this is the narrative of everything that happened in an orderly account, so that as you stand before the judge and are making the case for your life, this is your evidence. Needless to say, he's motivated by fact. This is a guy who doesn't take fluff. He wants to get to the heart of it. He's going to write down the facts, just the facts, ma'am, and he's going to put them in order. He's a smart guy in order that you may have, what's the word? Verse four. In order that you may have certainty. Okay. Hold that picture in your head. Luke, doctor, meticulous, logical, certainty. Let's continue reading. Verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
So here's, here's I'm going to fill in some gaps here because Luke is starting with Zechariah and Elizabeth, but, which I got a picture of them, you know, authentic. <laughs> Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are Jewish people. They followed the Old Testament. And we read earlier the last verses of the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi was written 400 years before these people that we're talking about. So God spoke to the prophet Malachi and hadn't said anything since then. 400 years. You know how long that is? <clears throat> okay, uh, how relevant do we feel it is to, like, the Declaration of Independence? Is the language there, like, something that we're really tied into? I mean, it, there's meaning there. We like it. We, we hold it in reverence. But that was written 400 years ago. If the government that had been established by the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution hadn't said anything for 400 years of history, would we be super interested in continuing to follow and submit ourselves to that government? Yeah, it was a good system. I'm not knocking the system as it was originally set up. I don't want to get into that. But I'm saying it's been a long time since God has spoken. And Zechariah is, what, a priest. And he was from the division of Abijah. And all that is to say, this was a family. This was a guy. He belonged to this division of the priesthood because the priests had certain jobs, and so they divided up the jobs so that everybody could take a turn. And he married Elizabeth, who was a daughter of, in the text, you're going to have to read. I'm not going to do all the work for you this morning. We're, we're going to do this together. He's a daughter of who? When they say daughter, they mean that euphemistically from the family of Aaron. So the priests were supposed to marry other people from the priest's family. What he's saying is the marriage wasn't the problem. He did the right thing. Zechariah married the right girl. And they both were righteous and godly. They did the right thing for God. It just so happens that Elizabeth was barren. Which to us is like, well, good for you. You're going to save a lot of money on birth control. But for them was like, that's shameful. For a priest to be married and to not have children is like a big, big deal. So there's shame involved. And it's not because of their sin. It's not because he married the wrong person. It's just she was barren. Are there things in your life that you go, God, why did you do this to me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't deserve these parents. I didn't deserve these children. <laughs> it just, it was. And God's going to use it. So let's continue in verse 8. This is where it gets good. This is a story. You ready for this? Verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. <laughs> and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So, so he's going about his business. See, the division of the priesthood of, of Abijah, that was important because the priests divided themselves up into different groups, and each group took a turn, about a month, serving in the temple so that you didn't have to be at your job 
So he was essentially working first shift, right? And you've got three other, two other shifts that everybody keeps the business going. These are priests. So his group of a lot of guys is serving, and he gets picked by lot, which means they, they cast die. They drew straws. It was by luck. God, their thinking is God has a hand in random events of luck. And so he, got, he drew the short straw, which meant that he got to go into the temple to offer prayer. And this is the temple complex that existed at the time, or a model of it. Um, and way back in the back, inside the inner wall, that big, tall building is like the Holy of Holies. And he wasn't quite in there, but he was outside of the curtain offering prayers for the people. And the way that they symbolized the prayers was they burned incense. So... His crew is on duty, and he gets chosen to go in and offer prayer. This is actually a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It doesn't happen every day. This isn't like the kind of thing. It doesn't happen. Like, this is unusual for somebody to actually get to go in and offer incense. So he goes to do this thing that he probably already thinks is important, and an angel shows up, and he's scared. I don't know, I get stressed out about things I've never done before. You know, there's an anxiety that comes with that. But then when angels show up, I feel like that is startling. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and now there's this blinding figure standing in front of me. What's going to happen? Let's continue reading. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the angel shows up and says, Hey, Zechariah, God heard your prayer. Now, this is where I think is a little bit funny. You can get a peek behind the curtain of the priesthood. Because he's there offering prayers on behalf of the people. Everybody's waiting outside for him to offer their prayers. And he also slips one in, you know, for himself. Like, hey, God, we, we don't have a kid. We, you know, there's some shame in that. Will you help a brother out? <laughs> and the angel shows up and says, yeah, God heard you. You're going to have a kid. And he's going to be a special kid. He's going to have the Holy Spirit from the womb, which I can tell you, every child I've ever met does not have the Holy Spirit from the womb. The spirit that they got is, is destruction. It's turmoil. But John is going to have the Holy Spirit from the womb. This is a special thing. This is a special thing, but it's important to note, well, I'll come back to that. I will come back to that in a couple weeks. This is a special thing. It is not the special thing that John will be anointed with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And so, hey, don't let, him, don't let him get drunk, which is hard enough today, much less in that era where the water really wasn't safe to drink. 
Don't let him get drunk or drink strong drink or anything like that because he's, God's got a purpose for him. He's going to be sent in the spirit of Elijah to what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Does that sound familiar to you guys this morning? Yes, no, yeah? What's that, what's that from? Hmm? Malachi! Yes! Gold star! It's from Malachi. We read it. The last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the book, the angel shows up and says, hey, remember God's been quiet for 400 years since the Declaration of Independence? He's back and he's going to do it. And he's going to give you a blessing in having a child while he does it. PTL, praise the Lord, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Let's see how Zechariah responds in verse 18. <clears throat> and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. <clears throat> And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I'm going to read just a few more verses. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. All right? So, this angel shows up, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, says, hey, you're going to have a kid, and he's going to be really special, and God's going to do some cool stuff. He's going to change history like 400 years, this is going to be a good thing for you. Hey, angel, how do I know you're not pulling my leg? And for us, right, it's like valid, valid question. Like, this doesn't happen every day. You know, how do I know what's going to happen, right? But here's the thing. This is Zechariah. He's a priest, he studied the Old Testament law. He probably has a lot of it memorized. He likely did have Malachi memorized. But he definitely had parts of Genesis memorized, particularly the ones where, you know, God shows up to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, your daughter, or, yeah, excuse me, wow. Hey, Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. And she's 99 years old. He knows that God can do this. And he says, hey, my wife's real old. How do I know you're not pulling my leg? And the angel you know the Lord restrained his hand because I was about to slap him. I stand in the presence of God and God sent me to you to tell you this and you're going to ask me how you're going to know. Just keep your mouth shut, son. You're not going to talk for nine months until all this, that's how you're going to know. You're going to be quiet. What is it, imagine with me, what is it to be quiet for nine months? 
What were you doing in March this year? <laughs> what if you hadn't said anything this year since March? I'd be in a mental institution. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's, here's where I'm, I'm bending our metaphor of our series a little bit. Because throughout these two chapters, people break out into song, but it strikes me that God starts this musical with an extended silence, a prelude. I've been quiet for 400 years. I'm not talking through the prophets like I used to. But I'm showing up now. I'm going to do it. And your lack of belief means that you're not going to be able to speak for nine months. And this season, like I said, feels like a musical sometimes. You're walking around and people are literally wearing bells on them, which doesn't happen at any other time of the year. This season is loud. It's noisy. People get excited. And so for us, as we come to this story, can we acknowledge that we need space for silence in our lives, whether God has to strike us mute or not? What do you think about for nine months when an angel just told you you're going to have a kid? And then you didn't believe him. You're a priest. And you didn't believe an angel when he told you what God was going to do. For me, that's a crisis of faith. God, I've served you all these years. And now you're answering my prayer and I don't believe you? What am I even doing? Verse 23. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Zechariah has gone to school. He's studied. He's memorized. He knows how God works. He trusts God. He serves God. And his wife's faith shows him up. The guy who's supposed to be leading the family is the one who he can't even speak. And yet the wife... She hid herself like, God, this is incredible. I want to I worship you through what you're doing.
And all of this is written by Luke, right? Like, Luke doesn't strike me as a particularly sentimental guy. I want to write an orderly account of everything that happened. And this is what happened. Right? But Elizabeth, it's like, you took away my reproach. The shame that I was feeling because I didn't have, you took it away, God. You answered my prayer. What did those nine months look like for her? How does she look at Zechariah knowing that he can't say anything? How does he explain what happened? (laughs) He might know how to write and read and stuff, but it's not a guarantee that anybody else around him does. It's not just like I text people. And it's uncut. Like, do you, I know you feel it because I slowed down and I put a lot more silence in, in how I'm talking. But we're even uncomfortable in silence in the setting where we're where we're dwelling on what God has done in history. There's an uncomfortableness in the, in silent spaces where we have to sit with what God has done in history, historical fact, eyewitnesses, an orderly account. So the bottom line, as I take away, is yesterday's faith does not guarantee belief today. If you've done the right thing for forever, that doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to do the right thing. This is hard for me. Like In my family, that's the picture that people have of me, is Michael always made the right decisions. Not that I did them, but that God was gracious to me and letting me watch other people's mistakes. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to forget God and be angry at him tomorrow. We need God today. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us everything we need for today. You can't stockpile faith in the past for tomorrow. What does it look like today? The flip side of that is if you've made all the wrong decisions and you haven't done the right thing, that doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to do the wrong thing still. The grace of God says, hey, today is a new day. Not another day. Today is a new day. And you can follow me today. So spend some time with God while we're celebrating what he's done. The whole world, everybody around you is talking about Jesus. They've got some right ideas about what that means. They've got some wrong ideas about what that means. And and we have an opportunity in a very real way to talk about Jesus here. But if we don't spend time with God as we're going through this season, what, what does that mean? And I'll make the case that, yes, you need to spend time in silence with God, which is really hard to do. But God also manifests himself in his people, spending time with his people in a way that you can refresh yourselves with them and what he's doing.
continually trusting God, not just that you will do the right. Don't trust that you're just going to keep doing the right thing and everything's going to be fine. We have to continually trust God. And sometimes it feels like it's getting old. God, I showed up yesterday. I read my Bible yesterday. I've read all this stuff before. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Why am I doing this? You're not talking to me. He's chosen to speak in this way. So continually, daily, sometimes hour to hour. Lord, I need you. <laughs> that fruit of the Spirit you're talking about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, I don't have it. <laughs> not this hour. Lord, help me follow you in the next hour. Take God's word to heart. Zechariah likely knew the fact that Sarah and Abraham had a child in their old age. But he didn't take it to heart. So that when confronted with a very similar situation, he said, God, God's done that before. He can do that again. Not just God's done that before and he can do that again, but God's done that before and he can do that with me. There are times where we read God's truth and we say, God has the ability to do that, but I don't think he can do it with me. God can save people, but he can't save me. God can love people, but he can't love me. Pray. My ch I don't challenge you to, to take a vow of silence for nine months. <laughs> but I do challenge you to take some time and in silence to pray. And what does prayer look like? It's conversation with God. And if an angel shows up, listen to what he's got to say.